0: What child is this? Do you know that Christmas song? That has been our question this year at Christmas. In in December, uh, we wanted to address that question because we believe answering that question—who who this child is, who was born—is is is a question that getting answers to will help us with all of life's most important questions. If you know who he is, then you know about life in a unique way. Uh, the Gospel of John tells the Christmas story differently than the other Gospels. And that really uh, guided us in the weeks behind us uh, since John used essentially five big words to say who this child is. And, and each week we've looked at one. Uh, life. John says that Jesus is life, that he's the one through whom life came into being. If you want to know life, if you want to have life, you have to know Jesus. Uh, Light is another word he uses right in the beginning of his gospel. Jesus is the light of the world. And in the way that light clarifies and encourages and protects and exposes, Jesus does all of those things for the person who will come close to him. Jesus, the light of the world. If you want to know who he is, you have to understand the light. Darkness, that was our third week, we've talked about who this child is. Uh, To understand the light that Jesus brings, you have to have a sense for the darkness, which even though it's dark, does not overcome the light. Not even the darkness from within us can overcome the light of Jesus. Jesus is the truth, John says. And by the way, if you've been here, you know that I'm going through a summary of the previous weeks. Do you get that? Okay, good. Truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the one who Uh, sets us free with the truth that we cannot find in any other place other than him. If you would know him and know the truth that he brings, that would set you free. The last of the five words we were going to share on Christmas Eve, but since we weren't able to be together, we're doing that this morning. And that is the word glory. John refers to Jesus with this term, glory, glory. In a unique way, which if we all see it, will help us understand who Jesus is. Before we get into it, I want to share one aside. Anyone who reads through the gospel of John carefully comes across at the end of that book, something that is unique in all of the gospels, where the author John actually says directly why he wrote this book, what the purpose of his sharing all of these stories is. And it's, it's, it's really personal, okay? And it has to do with you. He essentially says that the reason he wrote all the stories that he did about Jesus was so that the reader would believe that Jesus is the son of God and the Messiah and believing they would have life in his name. The reason that all of these stories were recorded according to John was so that you personally would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. It is the conviction of John that apart from trusting Jesus, no one has life at all. And that's what he means by believe. He means trusting Jesus. Many of you have made the choice in the past to trust Jesus and believe in him. There are some folks who've not made that decision who are here with us or who are tuning in online. This morning, I want you to understand that my goal when it came to planning out what we would do at Christmas was not just to talk about Christmas for the sake of talking about it, but it was rather that you would believe and have life in Jesus' name. This subject this morning, the glory of Jesus, my hope is that as we look at what it is that makes Jesus glorious, we would believe those of us who've never believed before and those of us who have believed in the past. Do you have this sense that even if you've believed, you could use a a, a sort of new sense of trust in Jesus? Does anybody have that sense? Yeah, so that's what I'm inviting you to this morning. And what John wants us to have, an experience of Jesus where seeing him, we trust him, and trusting him, we have life. So this morning, the glory of this child born in the manger. Let's start with what John says in his prologue about the glory of Jesus. Look with me at John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what John writes. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Let's take our time with these words. John's unique way of telling the Christmas story begins with this claim. The word became flesh. At the very start of the gospel, he describes a time when the word was with God and was God in the very beginning before there was anything else with God. The word was present there with God. And that word is Jesus. The story of Christmas is the story of the time at which this transcendent word chose to be with us, to become embodied, to live among ordinary people. This is when Jesus was born. And when that happened, John says, look again, he lived among us. Now that word us there, before it refers to you and me, and, and we do believe that Jesus lives still, but before it refers to us, that was John's way of pointing to the fact that he lived at the same time that Jesus lived. He lived in the same place where Jesus was born. So when they were adults, John was able to go along with Jesus and the others who followed him in a unique way so that he was able to see Jesus with his own eyes. Try to imagine that for a minute that all of the stories that were told here in the New Testament were, first of all, experienced by ordinary men and women, and John was one of them. He was born at the time where he could see Jesus and what happened with him in his own way. And now notice this, having seen Jesus and lived with him and, and, and observed the way he interacted with people, the way he talked to folks, his attitude, his responses to others, what John says about Jesus is this. Look again, we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son. Glory is is a word that we don't use very often, but when John used it, glory was a word that meant radiance in a heavenly sort of way. Okay? Brilliance, luminance, so splendid that it demands some kind of recognition in the old Testament. And that would have been the scripture from which John's faith grew in the old Testament. That word glory is only ever used of God in the moments when God appeared amongst his people and shined. It was glorious. Maybe, you know, the story of Moses, the first time he encounters the presence of God, it is in a fire burning in a bush. There's glory or the Israelites were freed from oppression in Egypt and they had to go into the wilderness and they were guided by night uh, and it was a fire in the sky that, that kept them going. God is glorious. And so now when John says, we saw Jesus with our own eyes and what we saw was glorious and it was like the glory of a father's only son. What he means to say is if you will understand who Jesus is, you must recognize that when you see the face of Jesus, you are actually seeing the face of God. The glory that is unique to God was uniquely present in the human face of Jesus, who is glorious in the same way that God was glorious. Now that is a big claim to make. And it should make us ask, what was it that John saw that made him believe that the face of Jesus showed the face of God? What was it that he observed? Now that question, which is meant to be in our minds at the very start of of the gospel of John is quickly answered through the simple stories that John tells about what he saw when he saw Jesus interacting with others. In fact, in the first miracle that John recounts, at the end of recounting it, he says, Jesus revealed his glory in this way. Maybe you know the first miracle that is told in the gospel of John. It happens at a wedding, When water is turned into wine. Good. This means fill in the blank. Wine. (laughs) There was a big wedding in a very small village in Cana. Everybody was invited. Jesus and all of his disciples were invited. Jesus' mom was even there. The wedding was an absolutely wonderful celebration until they ran out of wine which was not supposed to happen. And when that happens in the first century, it's a disaster. You cannot run off to the liquor store and get more wine. And it's especially awful for the groom. And the reason is that the groom was responsible for providing for the party. You know how there's a lot of pressure at weddings? Imagine all of the pressure for making sure everything's just right is on the groom's shoulders. And now, Picture this, you're with John and all of the disciples and everything's great. And now the word starts to spread, they're out of wine. And you're immediately thinking, oh my gosh, that poor groom is gonna look like a fool in front of everybody. And now Jesus' mother is hurrying over to you and you watch her go right up to Jesus, grab onto his sleeve and say, hey, they've run out of wine. And now Jesus turns to her and he says to her, what concern is that of, of me, of mine? It's no concern, right? And the reason he says that is because reasonably speaking, that's not his problem. Okay, try again to put yourself in this position. If the wine runs out, that's the groom's fault. And Jesus says that. It's not our concern. But then in this moment, something changes. And we know something changes because after a little time passes, Jesus' mom, who's right there, turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And here's why his mom saw something change on the expression of Jesus face from a very reasonable response, which is that's no problem of mine to a moment where he decided to get involved in fixing a problem. He didn't cause it was compassion that she saw on Jesus face and compassion is glorious. Try to imagine now you're John and you're watching as Jesus Goes from saying, it's not my problem to deciding to get involved so that this poor groom won't have to live with shame from now on uh, for dropping the ball at his own wedding. Jesus tells the servants, go over there and those stone water jars, fill them to the very top with water. And after you filled them with water, bring some of that water out and take it to the chief steward. The chief steward is the wedding coordinator, all right? Wedding coordinators are very calm and easygoing, right? no. <laughs> Very uptight, right there in chart. The wedding, the steward is over there with the groom, and, and this is what happens. As the water is being brought from those stone water jars over to the, the steward, Jesus' miracle is performed, and he turns that water into very good wine, but he does it in such a way that the only people who know are the servants and the disciples right there, John being one of them, and Jesus' mom. Nobody else knows, and Jesus did that on purpose. And he did it so that when the steward tasted the water that had become wine, he would think that the groom had actually saved the very best wine for the end of the ceremony, which would make him look like a hero rather than a fool. And in this moment, what what we see is the glory of compassion, which is compassion. That word literally means suffering with. Compassion like this is the decision to actively get involved in someone else's suffering in order to help them out of it. And John saw that in Jesus. And when he saw that, he thought to himself, that is glorious. He even says it, as I've I've told you, that this is one of the ways that Jesus revealed his glory. Listen now, the compassion of Jesus is glorious. And when John saw that, he knew he wasn't just seeing the compassion of a man, but this was something of of the character of God in that man's face. Uh, think of it like this. God has come in Christ to take responsibility for the mess that we caused because God is compassionate. Even though he could have said, uh, what concern is that of mine? He didn't. Instead, in Christ, God comes to take responsibility for our sin. Here, make this personal. God has decided to become responsible for your sin. For, for me and the things that I've done wrong, God could have said, that's not my concern. He messed up. But instead, just like Jesus in this story, he has compassion for the one who caused the problem and he steps in to fix it. And that is the glory that John saw in Jesus' face. That is the glory of God, the glory of compassion. If you will understand who this child is, you have to see that. That's the first thing. Now, you can keep going in the gospel of John and in every story, you will see, if you pay close attention, something about Jesus, which is glorious. Let's try this with a second story. Jesus is traveling with his disciples from Judea to Galilee. Now we think of traveling and we think, uh, you know what, that takes five to 10 minutes. They had to walk, okay? So imagine you are with Jesus and his disciples and you have a full day's walk ahead of you. That's what happens in this story. As they're heading north, they pass uh, an area called Samaria. Have you heard of that area? Uh, if you know Bible stories, you know about Samaria. It's a place where Jewish people never went. And, and they, they avoided it because there were ethnic tensions between these two groups of people, the Jews and the folks in Samaria, that went back so far nobody could remember where they really started. Something about religious differences or uh, belief differences, they hated each other. But here they are on their way north and Jesus' disciples are hungry, so they're going to head into town. They're going to go to the Wawa. Jesus is going to stay back, and he's going to sit beside the, a well and just rest. And he does. He sits down in the shade there. And this is when there's an encounter where, in a second way, John shows us what Jesus' glory looks like. Do you know about this, where Jesus meets a woman who's at the well? Does some of you know that story? If you know it, try to... Try your best to experience it again as if for the first time. All right, imagine this. Jesus is sitting there in the shade. This woman comes along in the middle of the day to draw water. And as she's lowering her vessel to get the water, Jesus speaks to her and he asks her for a drink. She is surprised. And not just because he was there in the shadows, but because in their culture, Jewish men never talk to women uh, from Samaria. And he asks her for a drink, which means he wants to share from the same drinking vessel. No one does that. In fact, John even says she was shocked because Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And so it's odd that he would extend this request to her. But, but after the initial shock, he starts up a friendly conversation with her. And this is just strange in this setting. But nonetheless, Jesus engages her in conversation. They start talking about spiritual things. They talk about Uh, the expectations that the Israelites had for the Messiah, which is a really significant conversation. And this is the moment as they're talking about this, when the disciples come back from getting their lunch and at a distance, they see Jesus talking with this woman and John tells us they were astonished at what they saw. Okay, so John is telling us what we saw when we came back from lunch, when Jesus is talking to this woman, it was astonishing, astonishing because Jews aren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. And and, and people like Jesus aren't supposed to talk to women like this. In fact, in their conversation, Jesus revealed that he knew why she was there at noon. She was trying to hide from her shame. She had plenty to be ashamed about. And religious leaders were supposed to keep their distance from women like her. But now what John sees in Jesus' exchange with this woman is glorious. He sees kindness. Do you think we have enough kindness in our day? No, not even close. And it seems like a simple thing that would be easy to overlook, but it's not simple and we shouldn't overlook it. Jesus was glorious in his kindness in that he extended kindness to people who everyone believed should be rejected and pushed away and ignored. And in fact, in this instance, hated even. Uh, We know this from other stories with the disciples that when it came to Samaritans, they thought that uh, they deserved literally nothing. There's one scene, you may know this, where uh, the disciples are not received in Samaria. They go up ahead, they come back to Jesus and they say, should we rain fire down on on the village? They didn't receive us. That was the outlook, even of religious folks towards this group. But here we see this second uh, element of, of what is glorious in Jesus. And that is that he is unexpectedly kind. He was kind to folks from the ethnic group that everyone was expected to hate. He was kind to children who in this environment, adults thought should not be seen or heard. He was kind to those who were socially rejected and the religious leaders shunned. He was kind to the disciples when they got him wrong and they got him wrong. He was even kind to those who were ungrateful and wicked. And that according to John is glorious because it shows us what God is like. Here, here, Let's take from this scene another description of God himself. This child teaches us that God is glorious in being kind. Uh, he, he's always kind. Uh, here, one more story for this morning. This scene, again, you can do this with every scene in which you see Jesus interacting with others in John's gospel. This scene comes from the very end of Jesus' ministry with his friends. And, and I, I share it last partly because it, it's the exact opposite of what most people think of when they think of the word glory. When you think of a leader who's glorious, maybe you think of somebody who leverages his authority over others so that he can make himself great. And that in human history tends to be what leaders who claim glory for themselves behave like. But Jesus never did that. In fact, he was always the opposite. And especially in this last scene where he is having his last supper with the disciples, the way it's recorded in John makes it plain that this third way that Jesus was glorious is is that he was glorious in humility. And it goes really well with the other two with compassion and with kindness. And and this third um, element of who Jesus always was was this consistent pattern of being great by serving others. Again, do you think we have enough of that in our world? No, people who aspire to be great want to control others. But Jesus was just the opposite. Glorious in the depths to which he sunk rather than in the heights to which he rose. It was always Jesus' way. Uh, Maybe you know the scene again. It's the Passover in Jerusalem. The city is filled with religious pilgrims and Jesus and his friends find their way to a room where they can enjoy one last meal together. Just the the group of of his closest friends. And when they arrive and try to picture yourself as one of those around the table. Uh, Again, this is John's perspective. He was there. He saw it with his own eyes. Imagine everything is exactly right. Uh, But one thing is missing over in the corner where there's the water jar and the basin and the towel, which is meant to be used to clean the feet of those travelers. There isn't a servant present and there was supposed to be so that before they ate their meal, they could have their feet cleaned. So they would be both cared for in a hospitable way, but they would be ritually clean The water's there, the basin is there, the servant's towel is there, but there is no slave present on this night. And so we can guess that all of those disciples were thinking the same thing. Someone better wash our feet before we eat. And they were also all thinking, and it's not gonna be me. We know that because that's what we would think. Can can we admit that, yes or no? It's, It's the lowest job there, right? To wash the feet of others. And so they're all wondering Who's gonna get up and wash our feet? Now, in this moment, John actually tells us that Jesus, in his mind, he was aware of the fact that this was his last meal, and this is how John puts it. The Father had put all things into his hands. That's John's way of telling us Jesus was aware of the fact in this moment that he was the highest one at the table, that God the Father had put all authority into his hands, and in this moment, what happens, and John saw this, is that Jesus stands up from his seat, and Jesus walks over to where the water basin is and he tips over that water basin, or the water jar into the basin and fills it with water. And then he takes off his outer garment and Jesus picks up the servant's towel and he wraps it around his waist. And then he lifts the basin and he walks over to the disciples and one by one, he kneels down and begins to clean their feet himself. Really try to imagine what this would be like. Uh, for me personally, it's very moving to picture Jesus doing this for me. But that's what we're meant to do. John had gone about with Jesus all these years and knew he is my master. And yet now Jesus is behaving like the servant, the slave. And, and, and you can picture there clearly the humility that was there on Jesus' face. And this is glorious. It, it, it's, it's divine that kind of humility. I hope you can picture that humility on Jesus' face because the glory of a master choosing to be a servant in order to provide comfort for tired feet and the dignity of being purified before this meal, that glory is the glory of God himself. And it's counterintuitive, but if we want to receive the child who was born at Christmas for us, we'll have to recognize that he is glorious in his humility too. It was his humility that was behind his decision to come as a vulnerable child. Really is a unique idea that God would become a child. It's because of God's humility. It was his humility that is beneath his patience with us. Are you aware of the fact that God has to be patient to put up with you? Yes or no? That's God's humility to do that. It was his humility that enabled him to endure mistreatment from the very people he came to save. I mean, it's one of the ugliest scenes in human history, the crucifixion, where Jesus is being abused by the very people he came to save. But the reason he allows them to treat him like that without fighting back is because of his humility and his glorious. It's also his humility that always makes room for us and welcomes us again and again. Whether we have strong faith or we have lots of doubt, whether it's a season for us of confidence or insecurity, God's humility is such that he makes room for us always. And that is glorious. Now, as I said at the start, the reason John tells these stories about Jesus is so that we can see who Jesus is and seeing we would choose to trust him. And then trusting him, we would have life in his name. And trust does not mean having all the answers or being perfectly secure. It just means deciding that I'm going to believe, I'm going to go on counting on him. And and what that means specifically, Here, if we've seen what John wants us to see, look at these three words, is to trust in Jesus' compassion and his kindness and his humility. First of all, toward us, and then through us, toward all the people we'll ever meet. And and I wanna give you this challenge. It was meant to be my challenge on Christmas Eve, but here it's gonna be your New Year's challenge. Okay, at the beginning of this year, it is with those three in mind to choose to believe in Jesus and have life in his name again, And then believing in him, showing that life to the people around you. And this is what it means with those three words. Look at them. It means, first of all, accepting that Jesus is compassionate for you. And then receiving that compassion by choosing to be compassionate with the people around you. And that's something I'm going to ask you to do this morning. First, will you accept Jesus' compassion for you? that he sees you and the problems that you caused and he decides to get involved in them to help. Will you accept that? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, uh, that's not a, uh, uh, I really want an answer there. Will you accept it? Yeah. I, I, we need to, I need to accept it again. And then this is a second question. And I mean it, will you then turn that compassion toward the people around you before you answer? Isn't there someone that you know, who caused a mess that you could say, that's not my problem. Is there somebody like that in your life? So will you choose to get involved to help and be compassionate? Yes or no? Yeah, okay, here's the second one. Kindness. And this is a specific challenge. Would you accept God's kindness toward you? It's hard for some people to do that. It's a very different question than like, you know, have you been good enough? No. Have you been ungrateful? Have you been wicked Those are the terms that Jesus uses when he describes God's kindness. He says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So in whatever way you need to accept his kindness, my challenge to you is open your heart to his kindness for you personally, and then will you reflect that kindness out into the world to someone around you who maybe is hard for you to be kind to? Will you do that, yes or no? Yes? Please. If no, keep it to yourself. I'll say even if you can even if you're honest and say no I just can't do it God is still kind to you. Third one, humility. I think this one's the hardest by far. I really do. First of all, to acknowledge that God, who is almighty God, has decided to humble himself for you personally. That's hard to accept and imagine. If God is the one who created everything and is perfect in every way and is perfectly holy, that he would humble himself for me personally. That's hard to accept, but this is my challenge. To believe in Jesus means to accept that God has humbled himself for you and then for you to accept that in such a way that you choose to serve others in humility around you. Will you choose to accept that this morning and this year, yes or no? Yes. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to ask for God's help for all three of these. And so I'm gonna lead us in prayer and I'm gonna ask you to join your heart with me as I pray so that God will help us receive and then reflect these three. Let's do that together. God, we believe that you will help us as we ask for your help in prayer. And so this morning now, having seen the glory of Jesus and his compassion and his kindness and his humility, we are asking you to help us believe in him and have life in his name. First of all, by accepting his compassion for us personally, for accepting his kindness and his humility for us personally, and in that way, believing in him. Trusting that you have decided to be compassionate and kind and humble in relationship to each and every one of us who are gathered together this morning, who are tuned in online. We accept your glory for us in these unexpected and beautiful ways. And then we ask very simply that as we receive each one of these, that we would be people who reflect that glory back out into the world. Not so that, we ourselves would be regarded as glorious, but rather people would know that you are the God who is indeed glorious. As we extend compassion, choosing to become actively involved in the suffering of others, whether it was our fault or not. As we, in a very countercultural way, are kind to people that we're not supposed to be or expected to be kind to, as Jesus was. And then, lastly, as we humble ourselves and relate to those who we might want to lift ourselves above as servants like Jesus did for us. Help us be individuals and a church altogether that is compassionate, kind, and humble. We ask for these things for the sake of Jesus who humbled himself for us and means to shine through us and we do ask that that is what would happen that your light would shine through us because we have received the child who has been born for us at Christmas. We ask for this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.